Welcome to Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. Join me in welcoming my guests as we'll discuss the ins and outs of the healthcare landscape and examine what is really happening inside big healthcare. Today, we are talking forensics. I have the leaders of Palmer Forensics, a preeminent financial fraud and financial forensics accounting firm specializing in vendor-related fraud and detection. As soon as I learned what CEO Joe Palmer and CMO Jonathan Palmer are doing to help those in healthcare, I knew I had to introduce them to the Healthcare 360 Nation. The good people at Palmer Forensics are bringing to light fascinating stories of healthcare insiders and vendors doing the wrong thing, and how they help companies across the world save not only their bottom line, but their reputation too. If you're a hospital admin, this one's for you, but I am certain all others will be amazed and appreciate companies like Palmer Forensics, and you'll receive tips on how you can vet those you may meet across the walk of life. Let's keep this conversation going, and thank you again for being a part of the Healthcare 360 Nation. Welcome back to Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. Today, we have an atypical topic and something I really didn't know about or learn about until I deep dove with my new friend, uh, Jonathan Palmer. We ended up meeting over at LinkedIn Miami at a live event. He made some quick introductions to what he's doing, what he's all about. And now I got to meet his father, Joe. Welcome to the show. John, welcome to the show. I appreciate you guys being here. These guys own Palmer Forensics. So it's P-A-L-M-A-R forensics.com. That's where you can find their website and their professional services. Starting with Joe, he is a certified accountant, a certified financial forensics and certified fraud examiner. He has over 19 years of experience. It's one of the top forensic units in South Florida, so much so where major corporations are looking to them, uh, even internationally, on what they're doing and what their approach may be to a certain particular situation, which I think is very, very cool. I feel fortunate to be talking to you knowing you have that statue above you, so which is great. Uh, Jonathan and I have been friends of, on LinkedIn, and we've helped each other out in a couple of different things where I had a smash and grab event with my wife about four years ago, and I said, hey, Jonathan, I, I met him at the event, and I said, I need to pick your brain because I was always worried about what might happen with that. They stole my wife's whole purse, so it's a smash and grab down here in South Florida is pretty common, but one of the things they stole was her ID, and we didn't know where to go, what to do, or how to address the issues. So Jonathan came back, he did a full review, uh, everything's clear, but he did it in less than a day and he did me a favor. So I, I actually have more peace of mind knowing that not everyone's using my wife's social security number or I own a house in Tahiti somewhere. Joe, John, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves deeper, something that you want the audience to know, and then we'll dive right into some of the stories. It's a little bit of a shock of some of the things I've learned and what you're doing specifically with fraud, fraud prevention, and forensics and healthcare. Here, let's hear about yourselves. I'm Jonathan Palmer. Um, I'm the chief marketing officer for Palmar Forensic. I've been with the company for the last five years. In October, we started a rebranding process to Palmar Forensics after being Palmar Consulting Group for many years. Through that, I've learned a ton about social media marketing, just the benefits of implementing social media to expand your reach and build awareness about your company and your services. That's kind of been my role recently. I'm the CEO of Palmar Forensics, and uh, as Scott mentioned, we've been doing this for about 19 years, and we have a very unique niche in the service area and the focus that we have. Many people overlook or don't think about, and that's in the the vendor credentialing space or something what banks do already, which is know your customer, something they refer to as KYC. If you Google KYC, 
it'll come up and it'll describe and show what banks do to understand who they're doing business with. And the question that we, uh, unfortunately, through a unique set of circumstances and events, had to learn a little bit quickly for clients that we were serving what it is and why it's important to KYV, know your vendor. Who is it that you're doing business with? How many people do not do that, just in general? Almost no one does. Organizations will often use vendors on an as-needed basis. There'll be an operating department, and they will run over to their accounts payable or finance or accounting department and say, we need this good or service, and this is the only vendor that can provide it. Can you please set this vendor up so we can engage them, get them to provide this good or service, and then accordingly pay their invoices? I, I equate it oftentimes to the contacts on your cell phone. Who put those contacts in the phone? You did, Scott, but how many do you have? Because all you're doing is calling them. But oftentimes, companies set up vendors without doing any due diligence, understanding who they're doing business with. Is it a legitimate vendor? Is it a shell company? Do they actually provide goods or services at all? Or do they just send fictitious invoices to organizations in the hope that they'll get them paid? Maybe internal people are creating those companies. I just posted something on LinkedIn today. Large, large organization, long-term trusted employee defrauded the organization of four and a half million dollars. She was able to create fictitious invoices and send them through. People don't actually think about those situations because as long as the expenditure falls within budgetary constraints, what's the problem? It's we budgeted for it, not an issue. Right. And it's swept under the rug and no one really recognizes it. Until you have an issue where someone questions this expenditure and then you realize we have paid this fictitious vendor five million dollars. And now the CFO is concerned, the CEO is concerned, the board is concerned. God forbid it gets out in the papers. Not every headline is worth making. And in the healthcare space, it's a unique environment because like airports, they don't ever close. So it's amazing how unique vendors show up at the oddest hours, midnight, New Year's Eve, Christmas Day, Thanksgiving. And guess what? Most management staff aren't around, and the organizations are so large, you don't know if there's something that's needed in a facilities or an environmental services department within the healthcare system. You're trusting your employees that they're doing the right thing. And these people are so overworked because there's so much to do now in healthcare. They're just happy to get home, and after a 70, 80-hour week, the last thing they're thinking about is who the next vendor is coming in who's scheduled for maintenance. Think about what you're putting on the table. I like the way that you phrased it. You're tired. It's been an 80-hour work week, but you could potentially lose the most important thing to you, and that's your reputation. Imagine these people working an 80-hour work week, stressed, finally get home, finally think they can relax, but can they really sleep well knowing that there is a possibility that some of these vendors are out there taking part in some of these fraudulent activities? That's why you need some type of fraud department or, or a service that we provide to help you sleep well at night so you don't have those kinds of concerns. Let me jump into something on the healthcare front since we're right there in that topic point. I'm going to give just the, the cliff notes real quick. When I heard the story, I, I never thought of it before. Through your investigation in forensics, you found a pedophile through a vendor credentialing system that wasn't verified properly in a children's hospital that luckily you found and your company was able to stop. What happened was someone within this children's hospital needed a particular good or service at the time and put forth this new vendor that was new to the system. And so when we went through the process of credentialing the vendor, one of the things that we do is we do effectively like a background search. People do background searches when employees are hired all the time. 
when vendors are brought on board, it's just a vendor. Well, it's not just a vendor if they're going to be on your campus. When we went through the process and the analysis, one of the things we do is we look back at the officers that are involved with that particular vendor. And the, the particular officer in question looked like he had had some lewd and lascivious acts with minors. And so we had spotted that. It was a red flag for us. We called the vendor to confirm that wasn't something that was inappropriately listed for this vendor because we're not in the business to badmouth anybody. We're trying to keep the bad guys out. And when we spoke to the owners of the company, the wife chimed in and said, yeah, but my husband's been clean for the last nine years. He hasn't done any kind of lewd and lascivious acts in nine years. And that was their justification. And it wasn't only once, but it was twice. And we've had rapists and murderers, and we have people that have had shell companies. We've had people that have been involved and accused in fraudulent activities, fictitious invoicing, fictitious bid rating. We've had issues associated with kickbacks, Department of Justice issues. It's amazing what you find within your vendor community. The question I have for you guys is two parts. So one would be, we have a lot of administrators who do listen to this podcast. Had they known, they would have made a different decision, correct? So what are the, some of the things or questions they should be asking from their seat, one, and then two, tell them the steps and the process and things that you look for as you're going through all this information. The things that administrators need to be able to focus on and do, Scott, is to institute a process of understanding who their vendors are. Are they legitimate companies? When you're talking about publicly traded large organizations, the likelihood of nefarious activity occurring in a publicly traded company with Sarbanes-Oxley over top of the CEOs and CFOs of those publicly traded companies probably removes a lot of the manipulation and game playing that some of the vendors are engaged with. The issue is more with the small local vendors, those that can create shell companies or can respond to bids. Let's say as an example, you have a bid situation where you need to have awnings put in in your building, or you need to have drywall or painting or what have you. You might engage a local firm that can provide those services. Organizations have been known, officers of those organizations have been known to create multiple companies they all control. The result is you get three bids from three different companies but they all have the exact same owner. You don't know it. It could be one of the guys in the facilities department or in the accounting department or accounts payable or in the administrator's own office. A secretary hears that we're going to put out a $100,000 bid for a particular project, and all of a sudden an entity is created. If the bid comes in at 97000 the administrator might think, that's great. I just saved 3000 from what I would anticipate it was going to cost. What if the work never gets done? What if the work isn't done by professional? What if the cost of the work really competitively bid is $60,000, not $97,000, and the bid was just padded? So what they really need to do is figure out, first and foremost, take a look at your vendor master file, much like the contacts on your phone. How many vendors do you have? Are there repeat vendors? Are there duplicate names? Is some critical information missing, such as a federal employer identification number? It's not about a credit application and then you set the vendor up. No, it's making sure that the vendor is a legitimate company. You check with the IRS. There is a website and there is the potential for you to put in any company name and their FEIN. And the IRS will tell you, yes, this is a legitimate company. 
The second thing is you want to make sure you do sanctions check. Most large healthcare organizations routinely will sanctions check a vendor. Sanctions checks are making sure that they're not on any DOJ, Department of Justice, or OIG sites that will basically tell you that this vendor has been involved with Medicaid or Medicare fraud. If you are on a sanctions list and you have done business with that vendor, the OIG could withhold Medicare reimbursements to your organization. Someone comes in, they don't have insurance other than Medicare or Medicaid, you provide the services, and because you didn't do your job checking the vendor, you don't get reimbursed from the government for the services you've provided. So you're protecting yourself and your organization, as John said, the reputation of your organization as well. So there are things that you can go through to make sure that the vendors look legitimate. But the first thing that I do, the very first thing I recommend all in all cases, is take a look at where you are today. From there, sanctions check, IRS verifications, understanding who you're doing business with. And one of the critical things that's often overlooked, Scott, many times, check the company. The company doesn't do bad things. It's the officers of the companies who do. So the pedophile wasn't the company that was trying to serve the children's hospital. It was the owner of the company. So if you just check the company against the sanctions list, at least you did something. But it's the officers that are the ones that have done the wrong things that would have put them on those sanctions list to begin with. That makes complete sense. And I'm still shocked. So you talked about the teams and going back and looking at the organizations that you are now trusting as a vendor partner in healthcare. From a personnel standpoint inside the organization, to have the lawyers involved is a no-brainer, I would think. But you're going to have administrative people. Who else needs to be part of that vetting committee to make sure that they're going through the due diligence and breaking things down appropriately to make sure that all that's happening correctly? There's three components, and you hit on two of them. The part of the organization, the purchasing department, supply chain, that's part of the organization that's tasked with finding the person who can provide the good or service. The other element that you want to involve is the legal team because they're the ones that are going to write the contracts. What many hospital systems do is they stop there. All you have is the supply chain finding a vendor that they think is legitimate, and then they have a contract written if it's contractual work or oftentimes a purchase order is cut. The missing component is the fraud prevention team. The simplest way to look at it, Scott, we used the example of the airport a little bit earlier. Look at supply chain as the ticket counter. Supply chain, they're just passing people right through. And then you have the plane. The plane we can theoretically say is legal. But what's right in between? TSA. Now imagine for a second, Scott, you come to the airport, they take your ticket, and then they say, yeah, just get on the plane. You might think, oh my gosh, this is great. Look how fast it was. But now you're sitting on a plane next to Osama bin Laden and Saddam Hussein. You would love to go through the process faster, but you're taking a lot more risk because you're not checking people as they're boarding. So in the same way, we onboard the vendors and we do those checks. So between supply chain and legal, you need that element. You need TSA. Right. And we just do that for vendors. And, and oftentimes there's a lot of organizations that will say, why do I need this? We had a very large healthcare system back in 2008 that received an anonymous letter. So this anonymous letter was in the facilities department, and we were asked by the chief financial officer of the healthcare system, hey, can you do some analysis of the income statement for this department? Well, we pulled the income statement, and we noticed unusual billing patterns that existed there. 
Well, that led us to a review of the invoices, which led us to taking pictures to support the work that theoretically was done on the invoices. A room was painted, drywalled, flooring was done. Well, just go to that location and see if it really was occurring or not. It turned out it wasn't occurring at all. These were fictitious invoices that were coming through for favored vendors controlled by a group of internal employees that were getting kickbacks from these vendors and no one was asking questions. There was no TSA, if you will. So the long and the short of it was we went to the U.S. Attorney's Office, the FBI got involved, the IRS got involved, and after a three-year investigation, there were 12 people who went to prison, 25 vendors that were thrown out of the organization, and six people who were fired that were internal employees. The CFO said to me, this can never happen again because you can make a mistake one time. But when you make a second mistake of the same nature, and vendors are at it every day, just like contacts in your phone, you better check because if you don't, you could have this situation occur. We created software that identifies not only if you're a criminal, but some relationships that might be inappropriate, issues that might involve other shell companies and vendors that you're related to. And the basic elements of doing these things continue to protect this organization today. Thank God it's been 12 years and we haven't had any more issues. The hospital systems that don't do credentialing, it costs them a reputation. What was the dollar amount that was accrued as payout to these people that were defrauding the hospital? Estimate was as much as $15 million. It was all because, Scott, no one was checking the vendors, and it was all coded against line items that had enough budget. Every healthcare system probably goes through something called a monthly operational review or an MOR meeting. That's where they review the financial results, are things online with budget, and as long as everything is in line and there's no variances, everything's okay, Scott. But the reality is, once the fraud gets baked into your actual expenditures, it becomes next year's budget. And so it effectively looks like it's okay. And year after year after year, these expenses were accruing and no one was able to detect it. And so we had to set up a system to prevent that situation. What are the steps then when you have those MORs that they can identify and just star them or check them and say, we need to refer back to this and review that even deeper? I think, Scott, that might be already too late because if there's no variance to budget, most people having limited time and energy and resources will say, are revenues in line or are they below? Why? Are expenses in line or below? Why? Are staff levels in place? Are capital expenditures consistent? It doesn't give you enough time at that level, Scott, to really be able to understand the issues. You need to roll it back. One of our clients every year runs a spend report from high spend to low spend. And they look through that and say, okay, we know this vendor, we know this vendor, we know this vendor. Who the hell is this? What vendor is that? What department are they serving? Who's approving their invoices? It's a way in the budgeting cycle to identify potential issues. I would imagine most of this comes down to employee or slash contractor because these hospitals do hire third-party outsourced contractor to do some of their work because they think it's going to lower their overhead or their operational cost, which brings up a point. If there's an outsourced third party doing the work, you now have to check them out too. So now it gets pretty messy. And, and that's what effectively we often refer to ourselves as the TSA of vendors. All third parties get checked this way, Scott. 
There's no third parties that come into our clients' organizations without going through sanctions checks, relationship discovery, understanding who they are. Do we have any issues that are going to cause any kind of problems whatsoever before they step foot on the campus? So even if you're not doing it as a healthcare system, begin thinking about that. We can take a look at some very simple things for most of our clients and immediately identify and spot problems. We're just in the middle of a project. 400 vendors we're looking at. And in the two-week period, we have found so many cocaine possession charges. All you had to do was set up the TSA, if you will, to sanction and check the third-party vendors, and you would have known right away. Crazy story. Same exact client. The reason that we're checking all their vendors, they had a question about a month ago. And they said to us, listen, we got some suspicion about our IT support vendor, third party that was providing IT support. Well, we went in and we did their analysis. The owner of the company spent 10 years in prison. He had assault with a deadly weapon, kidnapping, aggravated assault, and attempted murder. And so this was a guy who was running the IT department. The guy spent 10 years in prison. He had 18 criminal felony counts on his record. You just need a filtration system to make sure there's nothing unusual. And look, it's new to you. And you do these podcasts and you have thousands of followers. So you can imagine how new this is to so many people. And we would not have known. I went through Ernst & Young. I went through years as a CFO before we started doing this. I didn't know. I might have signed checks in the past without having any idea. It's only because of the circumstance in this one client that we realized how important it is to screen vendors. John, you and I are both pretty busy on social media at the moment, and everyone's all smiles and bubbly, and we're doing great content and videos and everything else, right? How has social media convoluted everything your father just spoke about? Everybody wears their mask. Everybody tries to show their best self. A lot of people have things in their closet, maybe they're ashamed of or they're hiding. On social media, it's much more vain and more about personal branding. What I love about social media, what I love about technology is it's much more difficult today to hide who you really are because there's just so much information out there. Go into Intellius, and this is a great resource. Type the person's name into Intellius, and you can essentially do a background check on that person. It's a free resource. You can identify a lot of different details about that person. So I just feel like social media is super interesting because it makes it a lot easier to expose people because there's just so much information. The type of software that we use is much more comprehensive and much more detailed. But if you want just to get a quick idea, it's like a Google search of people. So you can use that if you want. For the bigger things, let us do the heavy lifting if you really want to know. You bring up a very interesting point that I really never thought about. Wouldn't it be great if everyone who was on social media had some kind of badge to know this has been vetted, that Scott is who he says he is, his background has been vetted. It would be kind of cool. That's the same thing that we do. Scott, I got catfished. For me, it's almost, it was incredibly humbling because for a certified fraud examiner to get frauded, it was, <laughs> it was interesting. So what happened was, is it was a young woman and uh, she added me on LinkedIn. I started engaging on her page. She was engaging on my page. And somebody sent me a message and said, because we were mutual contacts, and said, hey, listen, so there's this girl that I, that I see that we're both contacts with. She ripped me off for something like $10,000. So it was the most simple thing, Scott. And this is advice that you can give to others for LinkedIn. How do you identify this is the real person? All I had to do was go to her website, and you could see that the website was not very secure. 
And so I was like, man, this is really interesting. So I right clicked her profile picture to see where the picture came from. When I did that, it led to a dating site. Apparently this individual stole the profile picture and tried to act as this individual to steal money from, it looks like an older, you know, an older demographic, take their retirement money, and then she was just running off with the money. So what did I do? I contacted LinkedIn and I said, I have evidence that this individual has been stealing money from people. You got to shut down her profile. There should be something implemented in LinkedIn that qualifies these people. That's actually a really good idea, though, about LinkedIn. I know it's off topic from the healthcare and the forensics, just verifying or some kind of validation to your claim of who you are. Because as professionals in that network, you're trusting and believing in really just honesty at that point. We're lucky and fortunate because we know each other. We're, we're doing this exchange now. Let me make this comment. Could people call you and ask for personal references? Hey, check this person out or this organization out. For a healthcare system that might have, you know, 500 or more vendors in its master file, that would be kind of sort of the, the sweet spot for us. 500 or more, up to 10,000, 20,000 vendors. It doesn't really matter size-wise. But if you're going to engage or do an RFP or whatever, the software is called Vetted, period. Who designed it? We designed it. So you built it from scratch? We built it from scratch with one of our clients and together put it to use right away. And right now, we are in process of doing Vetted 2.0. We're upgrading it to make it software as a service. We're trying to get Vetted 2.0 out in the market so that people can go ahead and use it on their own as needed. How long was that process of building that? And is it specifically geared towards healthcare that no one else is offering right now? It's not specifically geared towards healthcare. It uh, was a better part of two, two and a half years for development. We've been using it effectively since 2012 to protect various different organizations. We just, you know, like an iPhone, it morphs into a next generation. And yeah. so we realized that we need to do something more effective, more efficient. It's fantastic in its ability to identify nefarious activity. It needs to be more robust and it needs to be a lighter footprint. And that's what we're trying to do right now. Make it a lighter footprint so more people can use it and protect their own organizations and their reputations. If you put that into an app, that's the way to go, man. <laughs> it's already in process. John created the app for it. So it's it, the prototype. The yeah, prototype though that's already it's yeah. already going in that direction. Fantastic. Are there any last words that you would tell administrators uh, as we start to close all this? Is there anything that you want them to know that we haven't mentioned yet so far? Only that what you don't know when you're dealing with vendors can and often does come back to bite you. So it's much better to know who you're doing business with. If you background check your key principal employees that you're going to bring on, but you allow vendors to run loose through your organization, does that make any sense to you? You don't really know who they are. Not talking about the big ones. I'm talking about the mid to smaller organizations that you may not really have an understanding of who they are. If you were to equate, and I just want to make this more real for 2020, if you were to equate that 2008 series of events that went on, and you said it was about $15 million of loss, what would that equate to today? I'd have to say north of $20 million. Over a period of time, of course, back in 2012, plus or minus 2011, we noticed that in one year, there was a drop in expenditures in this one healthcare system, in this one hospital, of $3 million in expenditures. That's a direct bottom line hit of $3 million. Think of how many patients you need to bring in and the cost to provide those services to equate to $3 million at the bottom line. 
it could be a $10 million revenue gain to cover that kind of cost. Final word is yours for both of you. What would you like to say? Know your vendors. Do yourself a favor. Know who your vendors are. Reach out to us. We have tools that can quickly identify nefarious activity. You're only protecting your own good name and the reputation of your organization and your C-suite executives. If the worst that can happen is you engage us to do something and everything is fine, then you've got good controls. The best that can happen is we nip something in the bud that will save 25, 30, 40 years of a professional career. Who wants to leave their workplace knowing I was the guy at the head of this when this fraud occurred? That's a terrible place to be in. Yeah, agreed. Jonathan, anything for you? Go follow us on LinkedIn, uh, Palmar Forensics. You're not sure if this would be a good fit for your organization. Just go check out our content. We have a ton of content covering all these subjects. So see if it fits for yourself. You can find both Joe and Jonathan at uh, Palmar Forensics. Again, that's P-A-L-M-A-R, forensics.com. I'm going to repeat this one. I know you're not aligned with this, but Intellius.com. If you're feeling funny about somebody, go check them out. Do yourself a favor. That's valuable information right there, and I really appreciate you telling us about that. I will leave links to LinkedIn, your website, your email addresses, anything that you want them to know. That's it. Please share this. Share this with your accounting friends. Share this with your C-suite executives that you might know and just ask them, are you sure you're covered? Are you sure you're covering this subject? Are you sure that you're aware of your vendors and fraud? It can't hurt to check. Agreed. I really appreciate you making the time and putting the effort in. And uh, this is Healthcare 360. I'm your host, Scott Burgess. We have Joe and Jonathan Palmer in front of me from palmerforensics.com. We'll see you next time. Take care. Scott, thank you very much for your time. (laughs) You're not a Patriots fan, though, from being from Boston, right? Not at all. Giants? (laughs) No, that that was a nope. Yep. (laughs) I really appreciate you joining us today and hope this conversation empowers and educates the Healthcare 360 best and brightest. Please share this invaluable podcast. Contact Jonathan or Joe at Palmer Forensics with any questions or concerns you may have. And please refer to the podcast notes for contact information and links referred to. Also, if you have a topic you would like HC360 to discuss or would like to be a guest on HC360, you will find the counter link in the podcast notes below. Please choose a time and let's make it happen. If you like Healthcare 360 and enjoy the conversation, please share this podcast and give us a review. And if you haven't already done so, please subscribe on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, or anywhere you enjoy listening. If you want the conversation to continue, you can find us on Twitter at HC360Podcast or Healthcare360Podcast.com. Thanks again. This is Scott Burgess. And from all of us with the Healthcare360 team, see you next time.